Come and behold him. Think about what you just sang to the Lord. Do you realize that when we open our Bibles, we do so, as Pastor Darrell prayed earlier, we do so expecting to hear from God. We come expectantly to behold our God. Let's turn together to Psalm 19. And when I hear the pages stop rustling, I love that sound. Okay, you've had plenty of time. (laughs) Verse 1, Psalm 19. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We come to the scriptures to behold God. David sings joyfully emphatically, that God is not hidden. Uh, God hides himself from no one. Uh, In fact, because God desires to be known, he reveals himself clearly in creation. We looked at that part of Psalm 19 last week. And God reveals himself completely in his word. And God reveals himself convincingly in the consciences of his people. And so I am praying, as I always pray, before we come together to the word of God, that your conscience would be active right now as we behold our holy God in the scriptures. I I, I pray that the loudest voice you hear, the voice you hear with the most clarity, is the voice of God himself. 
God wants to be known as he truly is. And we come now to verses 7 through 11 this morning of Psalm 19. And we're reminded that though God discloses himself in creation, and he discloses himself clearly in creation, everybody on planet earth gets the memo, if you will, that God is, and he is great, and he is good, and he is wise, and he is present. So much so that people all over the world are without excuse in their rejection of God. That's how clear God's revelation of himself in creation is. But then there is God's disclosure of himself relationally. That does not come to us through creation. In fact, it comes to us only by the word of God. We cannot know God rightly, relationally, apart from Scripture. And so David sings in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Remember the the word Lord in verse 7 is Yahweh, the covenant God, as opposed to God as creator, El, in verse 1. God who graciously calls a people to himself for his glory and says to these chosen people, if you will, I am your God and you are my people. And God does not relate to all people this way. God relates to his people this way. And so the scriptures are God's special revelation of himself to his people. Are you one of God's people? I want us to just look at, look at your Bible for a moment because the, this, this is poetry, right? This, the Psalms are poems, hymns, and, and there, there's a visual here that's really noticeable in this psalm. Notice that David progresses from his description of God's clear revelation of himself in, in creation, in nature, what we might call general or na- natural revelation, verses 1 through 6. And then there's a shift in verse 7, God's work in his word. And we're meant to think about what has been said to us about the created order and how it illustrates what God does in his word. The sun brings physical life to the entire earth, doesn't it? Doesn't it? If you don't answer, I'll just stop. That's how it works, all right? Daylight savings time or not, that's how it works, all right? The sun benefits every corner of this earth without exception. Without the sun, we are not merely in darkness, we are without life. And we're meant to apply that simple yet profound truth then to the spiritual benefit of the word of God to his people. What do I mean by that? As the sun influences the earth, so the word of God influences the soul. And and because your soul is eternal, the word of God's influence on your soul 
is greater even than the influence of the sun on the earth. And that is a staggering truth about the Bible you have in your hands or on your shelf someplace at home or, or in the, the, you know, the, the back seat of your car. As the sun gives life to the earth, so the word of God gives life to God's people. Without the sun, the earth perishes. Without the word of God, you perish. Your soul perishes. Mine too. You say, well, that sounds like hyperbole. That sounds like preacher stuff. Well, look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The word law, Torah, It is a really general word for God's instruction in Scripture. It refers to God's revealed will. All that he determines to be essential for his people is given to us in the Scriptures. Do you believe this? That means we have no need to look elsewhere, though we're sorely tempted to do so. That means we have no need to come up with our own truth though people at times indulge the temptation to do so. We don't even have to guess at what God is like or what his will is. Did you know that? God's will is not given to us in creation, is it? We can't look at the, at the created realm and know what the will of God is. And God's will is not revealed to us primarily in our feelings, in our emotions, Though, of course, the truth of God stirs emotions, stirs feelings, for sure. Nor are we meant to determine the will of God by just reading our circumstances like tea leaves. Why why am I mentioning this stuff? Because some of us do this stuff, even though we're warned against it in Scripture. Well, you know, to me, God would never want me to be unhappy, so I'm going to go ahead and buy this thing, um, And even though I can't really afford it. And in fact, I'll tell you what, if the loan goes through, God meant it for me. I mean, I, that would be funny if it weren't a common spiritualizing of what is basically a pagan way of determining one's direction. You know, I prayed about it, and as soon as I said amen, God sent the most beautiful sunset. So I just know he wants me to marry him, even though he really seems to have no use for the word of God and doesn't seem to be leading me in that direction at all. But it was a beautiful sunset, and uh, after all, what more could be affirming than that? And again, that way of thinking has much more to do with paganism than it does Christianity. It's just a spiritualized paganism. We're meant to live God-directed lives by the Torah, by the instruction of God for his people. The word of God is the will of God revealed for the people of God. Okay? Have you heard this before? Of course. As the sun joyfully follows 
the course set out for it by our Creator. So the Torah, God's instruction, God's law, lays out the course for God's people to follow with the same brightness and joy. The Puritan uh, Thomas Watson says this. He says, The scripture is the compass by which the rudder of our will is to be steered. It is the field in which Christ, the pearl of price, is hidden. And so David, David sings, The law is perfect, complete, sound, without fault, impeccable. You know, we live in a world, do we not, full of laws, rules that are very well-meaning. Most of our laws are are made by smart people, mostly, right? Um, And and man's laws can be quite helpful. In fact, that's why God's word tells us, hey, you make sure you obey uh, the laws of man all the way to the point they contradict the law of God, right? Um, But listen... How many of you know even man's best laws are laced with error, are, are, are tainted with unintended consequences? The law of God is not that way. At our house, we have something called grandma and grandpa laws. And, the, and those, are, those are different from parent laws um, by, by a good measure. And one of those laws last Thursday night went something like this. There's four little kids sitting at the table pretending to eat their dinner. And, and grandma says, well, you can, here's the deal. You can have ice cream or you can have cookies or you can have candy. How cool is that, right? That's, that's pretty generous just as it is. And, and really quickly the kids figure out you can eat two-thirds of your ice cream and then regret your choice and switch to cookies. <laughs> and you get cookies, And then you can almost finish them and regret your choice and switch to candy, right? And in grandma and grandpa law, that's allowed. You can do that. No problem. And you send them back home to the parents, right? And and then when they finally go to sleep on Saturday, right? That's not the best law. <laughs> and man's laws are that way. Unintended consequences. How many of you know the law of God is not that way? The law of the Lord, sings David, is perfect, pure, right, clean. Only good for God's people. There's not the slightest error in God's word rightly divided. Nothing needful is missing from God's word. It's completely sufficient for his people. And it is vital for the life of God's people. How vital? As vital as the sun is to the earth so is the word of God vital to his people. Now, my concern this morning is not so much to to ask whether you agree with all this. I trust you do. It is, after all, scripture. But is this value of the word of God 
operative in your life right now? I mean, that, that Bible in your hands or on your, your app, however you, you choose to take in the Word of God, is that, is that active on days that aren't the Lord's day? You know this verse, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now just think about that. We who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, the scripture says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, right? Ephesians 2.10. And here's the thing. How do, you, how do you even know what that looks like in your life? You don't know unless you're in the Word of God because that is the only way to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're to know truth, if, if, if you're to be brought from error to truth, if you are to know what it is to live righteously, if, if you're to be equipped for the life God created you to live, you must be a student of Scripture. And so I ask you again, is that, dis, is that your disposition toward the Word of God? Do you feed on the Word to sustain your spiritual life just as you take in food to maintain your physical life. By the way, sometimes people ask, what does it mean that you are a Bible church? Hayden Bible Church. Is that, is that because we just needed a middle name? People have middle names, so churches should have a middle name, right? No, I don't, I don't think it has to do with that so much. This is, what, this is what we say in our, in our doctrinal statement. We are a Bible church. We uphold Scripture as the literal, absolute truth of God. We maintain a strong focus on the application of God's Word in daily living. Amen. See, the, the, the point of being in the Bible is life change. Being conformed to the image of Christ. Not simply taking in information. And building up a, an information bank, as, as important as that is. And so our concern when we come together, do you guys care if this is practical for a minute? Our concern when we come together is not to manipulate your emotions with, 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 with music that's designed for that, or pep talks, or, or, or uh, you know, heart-moving stories, that sort of thing. Um, slick presentations, that, that's not the, the vibe of this fellowship. You've noticed that. Though, again, God's truth rightly received does stir our emotions, our feelings. Did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke? The disciples said on the road to Emmaus. In Scripture, God speaks to us, and of course, it impacts our emotions. But here's the thing. Here's the caution. You can get all worked up emotionally on a Sunday or any other day and not even be a saved person. So we want to be moved by truth to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
as opposed to just being moved for the sake of being moved. Does that make sense? Yeah. And our concern is not primarily to teach you, you know, confessions and catechisms and doctrinal structures, though those types of things can be quite useful. Very helpful to us. But, but the word of God is our supreme standard. Everything we teach and everything we do is to be subordinate to the text of Scripture. And why is that so important? Well, because you can love catechisms and, and, and doctrines and all of that sort of thing intellectually, academically, and, and historically, and again, not even be a saved person. So our primary concern is to exposit verse by verse the life-giving word of God. Trust me on this one. You all don't need to hear my ideas. I've heard most of them. They're not that good. We, we, we need to know God's heart for his people from the scriptures. And so David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. What, what's that about? Well, well, to be converted is to be brought back into an original state of being. God created you and created me to be his image bearers, reflections of his holiness, reflections of his nature. Like the moon reflects the sun, so God's people are to reflect the holiness of our creator. And we understand, do we not, that sin has distorted the image of God not just in mankind in general, but in you and in me. My soul needs to be converted. And so does yours. Brought back into alignment with God's purpose in creation. The Hebrew word that is translated converted in verse 7 is very similar in meaning to the New Testament concept of repentance. So it's a change in direction, a, a complete turnaround enabled by the Spirit in partnership with the Word of God. Now, lest there be misunderstanding, let me just say this. The, God's Word is not the agent of conversion. What do I mean by that? It is possible to study the Bible and remain apart from God. Every once in a while, you will see on um, TV. You guys still watch TV? People do that still? Not so much, I guess. But anyway, you, you can see on TV, on the Discovery Channel or the History Channel or things like these where you get these experts on the life of Jesus. And there's often a, a scholar, a Bible scholar there, explaining, you know, who is Jesus? What did he do? What, why, why all this concern around the world about the, the, the man Jesus? And you listen for maybe, I don't know, 20 seconds to figure out he doesn't know the Lord. She doesn't even know what it is to be a Christian. But she knows a lot about the Bible. And he knows a lot about church history. Sadly, lots of saved people read the Bible and are not really being changed. They're not growing as they ought. I know that's been true of me from time to time. 
And we'll see more of this when we look at God's revelation of himself in conscience. What's that about? But for today, let me just say that David is using this wonderful name, Yahweh, the Lord, quite deliberately. Only the Lord's covenant people see his word in this way. For those who are apart from him, apart from the work of the Spirit of God, it's just a textbook. God's word is the instrument of conversion and salvation. What, a, what an instrument it is. What a sharp sword it is. Scripture alone brings to us the saving knowledge of God. That's why no one is saved apart from the word of God. No one is saved simply by looking at creation, for example. It's God's special revelation, his saving revelation that is needed. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When the word of God is applied by the spirit of God, the souls of his people are converted. There's power then in the word of God. Parents, listen. Read the Bible to your children. Don't buy the idea that says, well, let's, let's wait until they're um, in middle school. Let's wait until they're in high school. There's long words in the Bible. It is the means of, of saving revelation for the souls of God's people, the souls of our children, if you will. Do you realize that the word of God is critical for you in terms of your sanctification. Nobody is made more and more like Jesus simply by osmosis. It is a work of the Spirit wielding the sword of truth, the word of God. So salvation in the present tense is meant here in verse 7 as well, converting the soul. I am being saved from the power of sin to dominate my life in real time. And for that, I need the word of God. For that reason, God's word is precious to me because Yahweh is always preserving. He's always promoting the Godward life through his word for his people. That's why this church, for example, has a biblical counseling ministry. Well, what is that about? Well, it's, it's to do with sanctification in the really difficult, messy parts of life. Does your life have difficult, messy parts? Of course it does. And the scriptures speak directly to the heart of God for his people when they are going through the difficult and messy stuff of life. And so we have counselors who are trained not only in counseling, but in the handling of the word of God, rightly dividing the word of truth to bring the wisdom of God to that part of life. That's why truly converted men and women thrill at his word. We love to hear the word of God. And Jesus prayed this way for all of his disciples. He said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So David exclaims 
in this wonderful hymn of praise of God's self-revelation that God's people are, are not only saved but sanctified by the word of God. As, as the earth needs the sun, so you who are God's people need the word. Need the word. Listen, is, is the word of God the dominating influence in your life? The way the sun itself is the dominating influence on the earth. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Do you realize, think about what testimony is. It's when someone is a witness, they bear testimony, don't they? The scriptures then are God's witness of himself his revelation of himself. Do you realize when you feed on the word of God, you're actually hearing from God? And that's why the people who say, boy, if, if God would just speak to me, if I, could just, if I could just go to that mountaintop, I think I might actually hear the voice of God. You know, one of the best ways to hear the voice of God audibly is to read your Bible out loud. That's not a joke, because God speaks to you through his word. And if you're hearing other voices that are apart from and contrary to the revealed will of God in his word, those voices are not God. Are we okay? All right. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. What are the, who are the simple? Who wants to be thought of as simple? Well, David uses the word simple here in the very best sense because the simple are those who not only need God's instruction. Do you need God's instruction? Yes. Of course. The simple are those who will actually listen to God's instruction. The simple are those who don't say to God, I know that. I've heard that one. You say, well, my goodness, I have children who say that. You remind them of a a rule that is for the benefit of the family or at least your sanity, right? And I know that. You know, I'm familiar with that. Well, well, then how come you're not following it? You know, I wonder, you know, before we get too cynical about this, brother, um, how often do you suppose God <laughs> could rightly say that of you and me? See, I would never say that with words. But how often do I say with my life? I already know that one. And God loves me enough to work in my conscience by the Spirit. You say, yeah, you may know it, but didn't you read someplace in my word that, that knowing it really means you're doing it? And if you're not doing it, you don't know it? Loose paraphrase, obviously, from First John. Probably, are you still listening? Probably the most common mistake in, in reading and interpreting the Bible um, and, and I know this by experience, is simply the failure to integrate it into our own lives. To, to just that—that that would be a, a, a sad thing to belong to a Bible church and take that to mean that we just amass information about the Scriptures. 
while at the same time we are not being transformed collectively by the Spirit through the Word into a brighter reflection of our Savior Jesus. That's, a, that's an unteachable spirit. That's the opposite of simple in David's meaning in verse 7. Rather than responding with repentance and, and faith and obedience, we're sometimes like that, that person that James describes, you know, the fellow who looks into the mirror and then immediately leaves forgetting uh, what he looked like, you know. Listen, lots of people, Lots of people affirm scripture with their mouths, but live a life that doesn't reflect what they profess to believe. So life change is in view in these remaining verses. And this, this is the point where I figured you guys would get all squirmy because you're thinking to yourself, oh man, there's five more verses. And... Um, We've only, we've only hit verse 7, so what, what are we to do now? Is the, is the extra hour, is that what this is to do with, with daylight saving? No, listen. Um, verse 1 of Psalm 19 is amplified by verses 2 through 6. Verse 7 of Psalm 19 is amplified by verses 8 through 11, Okay. And so we'll move more quickly now through verses um, 8 and and so on. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Notice that there's a progression in David's song of of praise here. God makes us alive through his word, you know, conversion. He makes us wise through his word, okay, making wise the simple. And he makes us glad through his word. Do you come to the Bible with gladness? Yes. Or maybe a better question would be, do you leave your time in the word of God with joy in your heart? Because God has spoken to you, not just generically to all people, but, but to you specifically. Knowing your heart right where it's at right now, God speaks directly to your heart in that state. And so the word of God brings deep-seated joy to the hearts of his people. I came to the word this morning, we might say, wondering what I ought to do about such and such. And and, and somehow my time in the word informed how I'm going to live life in light of such and such. Does that happen to you? It's meant to. It's meant to. And there's great joy in that, isn't it? Isn't there? I, I, I started today doubting how I could even be called a child of God. If only people knew what I struggled with. You know, I clean up pretty good, but if they only knew what was going on in my heart, the stuff I keep to myself and I, and I, and I read in my, in my Bible, God comes to me and he says, look, I've loved you with an everlasting love. My love isn't even sourced in you, it's sourced in me. And my love for you is perfect. So let's get going. William Plumer, in his commentary on the Psalms, says this about the pure word of God enlightening the eyes. He says, the Bible removes a thousand misconceptions, prejudices, and follies, which like fog and darkness obscure our perceptions. Boy, how true that is. 
Life is a fog sometimes, isn't it? And as God's people, we're meant to measure everything that we encounter by the word of God. Let me just give you a few examples. We, we saw this last week when we looked at verses 1 through 6. The universe, for example, did not just burst into existence. Everything out of nothing, on its own, no apparent cause, God created it. How do we know that? Well, just read the first page. In the beginning, God. That settles that. That's an easy one, isn't it? Mankind is not an evolutionary wonder, just a a slightly improved version of the ape. Mankind is made for God's glory, said David in Psalm 8. God has created men and women with dignity to be the image bearers of God, our creator. And God created mankind to have dominion, to to, to be a steward of the rest of creation for the glory of God. And so what mankind really needs the most is not better education, not a different form of government, not a different party in power. What, what, What mankind needs the most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus is our shelter from God's wrath. And only Jesus brings us into relationship with God and enables us to begin to function as his image bearers. And as those who function as stewards for his glory. Think of what our children are being exposed to these days. Little boys and little girls are not meant to decide what gender they are or or be coached to do so. They're meant to express the gender and sexuality assigned by God at creation. This is what the Bible says. "In In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Case closed. Case closed. The truth that removes a thousand misconceptions, prejudices, and follies. The truth that that lifts the fog and darkness of our obscure perceptions is the life-giving word of God. How do you you Christians come up with, with these ideas about you know, like science has really changed the way we, we can look at things like homosexuality and the roles of men and women. Uh, the, the explanation of origins either. Where did everything come from? Or, or how about something like abortion? All of that has changed over time in the world's eyes. Have you noticed that? Man's truth always changes. That's why I never get too bent out of shape when they come out with a study that says you shouldn't drink that much coffee. Because, it, I mean, in five years, there's going to be another study saying that it will, it will keep you alive longer, right? That's the one I choose to focus on. But listen, the, the, the word of God is not like that. God is immutable. He never changes, never needs to change. God's word is a reflection of God. And so God's word 
is unchanging. There is never a time when you rightly divide the word of God and live your life that way and find out that that was wrong, that that wasn't God's best for you. That'll never happen. That's how reliable your Bible is. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. God's word is the greatest treasure for those who love him. I sometimes wonder. Every once in a while, Bibles get left here by mistake. And... um, I want to say this with tenderness, but sometimes they'll sit in that lost and found box for a really long time. And I'm just praying that so-and-so, I usually don't know who so-and-so is, and that's really not my concern, but I do pray that so-and-so, whoever it is, has another Bible. Because I would wonder what was going in the heart of one of God's men and one of God's women to be without his word and be okay with that for six and seven weeks at a time. I don't get it. Sweet honey represents the pleasures of life. David lived in a time in human history where there weren't artificial sweeteners, right? Saccharin, is that still one? No, the, the, the thing that made anything sweet was pure honey from the honeycomb. And God's people delighted in that. And, and he says in this beautiful song, you know what? The Bible exceeds even that in its sweetness, in its desirability to the people of God. Moreover, by them your servant is warned And in keeping them, there is great reward. Warnings and rewards. Again, if if you don't mind this being practical, let me just suggest something to you. It would be a perfectly normal thing for us to take in the word of God privately each day and just ask ourselves, is there a warning here that I'm meant to pay attention to? Is there a reward here that I'm meant to believe, that I'm meant to live by faith in, though my circumstances maybe suggest otherwise? Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Think of the example of our Savior Jesus. When he was tempted in the wilderness, what was his defense? One at a time. Yeah, the word of God, right? And in keeping them, in keeping God's laws, there is great reward. Now, let me just end with this. And I mean eventually. We'll end with this. But just think about this. This, Think about the sweetness of God's law before we close. What do we know elsewhere in the scripture 
with respect to the law of God that helps us understand its sweetness. Well, doesn't the scripture say to us that God's law is a tutor pointing us to Christ? So we can't just look at the law and say, this is what God is like. Uh, This is how he calls me to be. I'm good with that. Off I go. No, we look at the law and we think, good heavens, I think I've broken all of those commandments. I think I maybe broke two of them today. And that's not a funny thing. That's just being real, isn't it? But the law of God is a tutor for us, says Paul, pointing us to Christ. We, we don't know this from looking at creation. We only know from looking at Scripture that God's word is sweet because it reveals to us that the perfection Adam lost in breaking God's law and passed down to us, Jesus Christ reclaims for us. He fulfilled the law perfectly, didn't he? And Thomas Watson was right. You, you can learn a lot from these old dead guys. The Puritans, the field in which Christ, the pearl of price, is hidden, the scriptures, David's greater son, the blessed man of Psalm 1, the anointed king of Psalm 2. I won't repeat the whole pattern. Perhaps I should. Um, I don't, even, I don't even know how you recover from that. I don't Here, here's how we recover from that. Listen, I don't want you to be one of those people who takes in an awful lot of the Bible day after day, week after week, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and misses Jesus Christ. The whole book is to do with Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Think of that. Like the sun rises and sets, so the word, the living word, God the Son, came to this earth and displayed for all to see the very perfections of God and lived out in real time the holiness of God, the law of God, if you will, day by day for his people, for you, for me. And then Jesus journeyed down into the darkness of God's wrath for his people's sin. What a, what, what a dark time was Calvary. How, how black was that night, do you suppose? And into the tomb. And yet the sun has risen, amen? 
purging us of our sins, bringing us to God. And so Christ, the living word, reveals God to us. And David knew this promise, but dimly, not, not as you and I do, but he knew it through the bloody sacrifices that pictured the Messiah's atoning work. He, he, he knew it through the promise God made to Abraham to bless a people from all the nations. David knew it through the promise God had made to him personally that one of his descendants, his greater son, if you will, would rule over an everlasting kingdom for his people. The whole book, all of the law and the prophets, Jesus says, is to do with him. So don't be one who takes in the Bible and misses Jesus. Don't don't be one who takes in the Bible and misses the design of God to use his word to make you more like Jesus. And having led us to Christ, the word continues to do its work in making us more like our Savior. Do you know what's kind of convicting for me? I'll end with this. The Lord Jesus, in his humanity, learned the word of God. That's hard for me to get my head around, but the scripture says that. Jesus, in his humanity, learned the word of God. He grew in grace in that sense. And he revered the Father perfectly by obeying the Father completely. That's his word. How much do you think we need the word of God then? If that doesn't convince you, think of it this way. Jesus, in his humanity, spent 30 years in the word to be equipped for three years of ministry. Wow. How much more then do you and I need the scriptures daily? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word alone has power to do the things that you've shown us just now. We thank you, Lord, for your saving power through your word. And Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, would do that work among us assembled here. That, Jesus, you would draw men and women to yourself. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work among us who know you. Lord, that we would crave in a fresh way the sweetness of your word. Lord, we dare not become those who simply carry our Bibles around as is so common today. But Lord, may we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of our God. And we ask you this, Lord, not only for our own benefit, but so that you would be glorified through your people, that we would be more and more transformed into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his name that we ask this. Amen.